Hello and welcome to Metaphorically Speaking with me, Delia Delore. If you have not heard the show before, welcome. Get ready to learn with us as we dissect popular mottos, mantras and metaphors. We trace their origins and find how they translate to everyday life. Each week we have a special guest who resonates with their chosen expression. This week's metaphor is a common one, but to put it into action in terms of discussing true stories that explain it, isn't easy as many people find it difficult to say why they have taken the blame for something that they didn't do. You'd think that it would be easy, right? You think and you'll see that we are right and you'll be wrong. Maybe it's a good thing that people don't always remember occasions that explain this. Maybe it means they've moved on. Maybe you've immediately thought of a time that you were a victim of pain for something someone else did. Have you thought of any metaphors that would suit what I've just said? Someone who is happy to share experiences about the mysterious metaphor is today's guest, Tony Kelly. Tony is in demand for radio, television and webinar interviews about type 2 diabetes. He's also a print editor and featured on several podcasts and runs free workshops in many subjects. So we're very lucky to have him. He has been a guest on Metaphorically Speaking before when he was talking about diabetes. But today we'll be discussing the metaphor, have you guessed it? To carry the can. Have you ever used a figure of speech and wondered how this would translate into another language? In today's episode, we'll look at the German expression etwas aus Baden müssen, which when you literally translate it from German into English means having to bathe something out. It means carrying the responsibility for something or someone else's wrongdoing, including but not limited to your own. In English, we would use the phrase to carry the can for something or somebody or to pay for something to convey the meaning of this. We will trace back the roots of this metaphor in the German language to understand where this saying comes from and why it differs so much from its English sibling. Let me take you on a journey to Germany. The term etwas as baden müssen, to base something out, means having to bear the consequences for something that either you or another is responsible for. Until as recent as the early 60s, the concept of bathing was a lot more primitive and functional than what we know today. There was one day a week, usually Saturday, that was for bathing. Therefore, Saturday was also referred to as bad attack, bathing day. Not every household in Germany had their own bathing tub, for those who did, being able to have a warm bath was connected to quite a bit of effort. The water that came from the tap was usually cold, and who in all honesty enjoys a cold bath? So firstly, you had to heat the water to the right temperature using a kettle over an open fire, or since post-World War II, a bath boiler that ran on either wood or coal. The boiling water was then mixed with cold water until the right temperature was reached. This took time, so the same bathing water was usually used for a whole family to wash themselves in. Imagine coming home after a long day at work, eager to jump into a nice warm bath, 
But instead of that, you find a tub filled with somewhat lukewarm, brownish looking water that makes you question whether you really want that bath. Now, you probably think whoever had the work of preparing the bath would be the one to jump in first, but that wasn't the case. The order of bathing, as you could call it, was determined by the family hierarchy. This meant that the father, the head of the family, would get to bathe first. Second was the mother. And then the children in order of descending age. The first people to bathe, therefore, could enjoy a nice warm bath. The further down the line you were, the colder and also the dirtier, of course, the bathing water would be. The youngest would not only bathe in rather cold and dirty water, but would also have the pleasure of emptying and cleaning out the bathtub. With the last bit of water left in the tub, he or she would clean out the inside of the tub with a brush. This was called advas asbaden, to bathe something out, and was, as you can imagine, rather unpleasant. Oh, das ist für mich das Schönste am ganzen Tag. Eine Badewanne voll Wasser, voller Schaum und ich mittendrin. Ein Stück Seife und einen Waschlappen und dann runter mit dem Dreck. Aber dann gibt es eben noch etwas, was die Badewanne zum schönsten Platz auf der ganzen Welt macht. Translation. Oh, this is the most beautiful part of my day. A bath filled with water, lots of foam and me right in there. A piece of soap, a washcloth and then off with the dirt. But then there is another thing which makes the bathtub the best place in the world. Households that did not have their own bathing tub would go to a public bathing house called Browserbad. Those were public baths where you could bathe for a small fee. This was more about washing your body than for enjoyment and leisure like nowadays. The first bathing houses were introduced in the 19th century and England was actually a leader in this. The era of enlightenment brought about a change in people's way of thinking. Cleanliness became a topic of more importance than previously. However, the majority of the population didn't have access to running water or bathing facilities. So the medics at that time fought for the opening of public bathing facilities. In 1842, Liverpool opened the first public bathing house for workers. Soon after, many other such facilities were opened all over England and the rest of Europe. What led to a breakthrough in public acceptance of those newly established bathing houses were the efforts of German dermatologist Oskar Lassar. In 1874, he founded the German Society for Bathing Houses, whose slogan was a weekly bath for every German. With that, he was mostly referring to shower baths, the predecessor of showers. The defining success in the introduction of Fike's Brausenbad, the public shower baths, was made during a public exhibition for hygiene in 1883. Lassar had set up a Nissen hut with a total of 10 shower stalls for men and women. During the exhibition, anybody could take a shower hair for only 10 pennies, which included soap and a towel. The demand was great and between May and July, over 7,000 people used the facility. Oscar Lassar saw this as a great achievement in public hygiene, as showers were much more sanitary than the public bathtubs, which, even though they would be cleaned after each bath, could still contain infectants. Public baths prevailed until not so long ago. In fact, it wasn't until after World War II that the average citizen had their own bathroom, and even then, it was predominantly the case for newly built. Splish, splash, I was taking a bath Long about a Saturday night 
Welcome our guest. British-born Tony Kelly was raised in Jamaica and returned to England in 1979 and he's lived in Birmingham with his family ever since. As a Mikko Teachers College graduate, he taught English and religious education in Kingston High Schools. Tony worked in local and central government for 30 years before early retirement as a middle manager of equity, equality, diversity and inclusion. Tony, thank you very much for being on Metaphorically Speaking once again. When we were faced with this metaphor, it was one that normally our guests decide what they want to talk about. Mm -hmm. But our team have always wanted to talk about this metaphor. And my writer as well was saying, you know, I really love to write about this metaphor. We thought, okay, then you can go ahead and do it. But the tricky thing is, is to get the right guest. And everyone just looked at each other and your name came up. So (laughs) that you accepted what I call as a challenge, because this metaphor is one that we say it or we're familiar with it. But when it's time to provide examples about it or how it resonates in our life, it's not as easy as you think (laughs) to explain it or to find it. So mm-hmm. how far have you got with the metaphor to carry the can? Well, f- first of all, for me, carry the can is a take on you taking responsibility for a mistake or a misdeed. In other words, you're blamed for something bad that has happened, even though you're not the only person who might be and have been responsible for it. So that's my, my understanding of carry the can ever since uh, what one, one was growing up. So as a child, a classic example for me as a child, I have to say when I was growing up in Whitehall, St. Thomas, Jamaica, although I'm British born, I grew up in the Caribbean, I was my grandmother's favorite grandson. So Mm -hmm. there were other children in the household, and if a glass got broken or anything had happened, they would put me up front because my grandmother, (laughs) and Mm -hmm. I laugh now, but my grandmother sport me to the extent where she wouldn't beat me. So they would say, mm-hmm. show ownership, put your hand up, carry the can for us, so to speak, because, and I would do it knowing full well, and they knew full well, my cousins and others within the household, all of my age group knew full well that I wouldn't be beaten by my grandmother. I was her favorite yeah. one. What's <laughs> a, a different sort of take on it? Yes, I would own up, I'd accept responsibility that I was the one, even though I was actually telling case. I probably didn't have anything to do with the breaking of the glass or the mirror or what it was that was um, cause for concern. But so that's one example. Another example I can give was when I was at high school, we were in a musical appreciation class and I was behaving well. 
but some of the other students in the class weren't behaving well. It was a class where they were supposed to listen to classical music. This is going back into the 70s now at high school. And they were throwing things about and the teacher got very upset with them all and decided, right, everybody will be getting a detention. And I just... <laughs> This is so unfair. Here I am, because I've always loved classical music, which is why probably our daughter, Abigail Kelly, in case you didn't know, is an opera singer. She sings all over the world. And, and people say, Tony, she gets that from you. <laughs> but, but I wasn't pleased that I had to, in a sense, carry the can in that regard. That's one angle where the whole class was punished accordingly. So the good suffered for the bad, so to speak. And um, that didn't go down too well with me. <laughs> I did the detention like the others did, but yeah. um, just felt that that was a, a bad mark against my name um, for something that I wasn't really involved with. But the whole issue of carrying the can, where, where people do rightly or wrongly take ownership for somebody else's mistakes or misdeeds or misdemeanors, it needs to be carefully thought of because I worked in the criminal justice system and I've known of people who have gotten involved in crime, in criminal behavior, offending behavior, and the police come around and asking questions and so on. And they had nothing to do with it. I remember having to write reports on people who they call them pre-sentence reports, which have to go before the magistrates in the magistrate's court or the judge in the Crown Court. And the person I'm there interviewing them, look at offending behavior, looking at risk assessment and so on. And the person would say to me, you know, I didn't do this. And I would say, well, why did you plead guilty to something you did not do? Oh, and sometimes I would say, it's true, there's a pressure from their peers, pressure from whoever they were in the, the offending behavior with, or sometimes it also was pressure from the legal advisor, the solicitor, the barrister, saying, hey, you have such a bad record, and if you were to go to trial, trying to convince, if you were to go to trial, you're not going to be believed, so you might as well put your hand up, own up to it. And, and for me, that is wrong, which is why I'm totally opposed. And this can come in the conversation. I'm totally opposed to the death sentence, absolutely opposed to it, because innocent people can end up going to the gallows, having been put under pressure by whoever, whether by, by their legal team or whether being bullied under cross-examination in the police station by the police saying, you better own up to this. And then they put their hand up and own up. So... One needs to be mindful about carrying the can. Is it is it a serious thing you've done or not done? If it's a misdemeanor, something petty or so on, and you put your hand up, I don't have a problem with that. But when it's something that can impact and affect the rest of your life in terms of getting a criminal record, in terms of you being locked away for how many years, or in some countries even facing the death penalty, it takes on a different meaning altogether. And people need to be mindful of that. And then also... There's some people who carry the can who are not bright. They're not that au fait or bright or astute enough to know, hey, I really shouldn't own up to something which I didn't actually do. But pressure and being forced and being coerced and being bullied can make the difference between whether you own up to doing something which you actually did do or something that you didn't do. So that's another angle. I don't know if the, the colleagues who were wanting us to discuss this, whether we're thinking along those lines, but that for me is a worry where people are carrying the can for things. And there are people now in prisons up and down the country and abroad who are doing time for things that they didn't actually do. And I go back to the, the, the persons who come before me for me to write the pre-sentence report. And I say, well, I think you need to change your guilty plea. But they say, oh, it's too late. 
debate. I've already put my hands up to it. They've asked for a report about me and I've come mm-hmm. to you. So when you look at the issue of what's their attitude, are they showing remorse, contrition? What's their attitude to their offending behavior? It's hard to really gauge it because they're telling you, I, I sometimes wonder, are they pulling all over my eyes by saying, I really didn't do this? Or the police stitched me up? or somebody planted evidence. And, and you know, as black people as well, we need to be mindful. We're going through the death of this chap in London who initially what they said was that when they were chasing him and then they found a gun in the car, it has since been revealed. There was no gun, you know, this chap in London, uh, there was no gun in no car. So those are sort of the things that you have to bear in mind when you look at the whole issue of carrying the can and whether or not it's a right or wrong thing to do. Sometimes for quiet peace of mind, you might say, oh, yes, I'm going to put my hand up to that. But when it becomes a very serious matter, you, you have to decide. And this is where some solicitors, um, they just say, oh, yes, you, you have such a long record, criminal record. It's best you just own up to it. Because even if you were to go into the Crown Court to be judged by your peers, 12 people on a jury, by the time the barrister has wrapped you around his or her little finger and twisted you, even though you didn't do it, they might find you guilty. So those things come into the equation and are things we need to be mindful of in, in, in our everyday life. As black people out there stitched up and being charged with offences, which we did not commit. I hope that helps in the discussion. Oh, yes, definitely. Uh, and I think that when we initially thought about the metaphor, I think the first thing that comes on some is the social context in terms mm-hmm. of you personally carrying the can somewhere along your life. And mm-hmm. like you, uh, my kind of early recollection of it is being the eldest of four children mm-hmm. and knowing, <laughs> knowing that, you. <laughs> yes and my father always used to say you're the eldest you must set the example you should know better mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I should know better mm-hmm. so sometimes if my father would think that I'm the one who did something mm-hmm. there would be times when I would have to think well I've only got one brother and two sisters mm-hmm. and I had a sister who's very feisty who mm-hmm. poor thing she would be the one carrying the can because wow. sometimes I would say do you know what I'm not going to take responsibility of this one I didn't do it yes mm-hmm. and whether it was her or not mm-hmm. I would say it was her because mm-hmm. we had the mouth on her <laughs> So she could get herself out of trouble then. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. Talk herself out of trouble. She's like that. You know, her personality is if I if she didn't do it, she'd be adamant. But mm-hmm. she would also say, Well, if I didn't do it, if it's one of my siblings who did it, there must be a reason why they did it. <laughs> and she would twist it mm-hmm. to make my parents think about their behavior or what they probably Mm -hmm. did contribute to the sibling doing what they did. Mm -hmm. If that makes any sense to you. Yes, it does. So there's there's some sibling rivalry there, but there's also love for each other. You were clearly right. in a family where there is protection and love for your, your younger um, siblings and so on. And then they also reciprocated as and when necessary. So you didn't carry the can for everything going. And why should you? Yes. <laughs> yeah, but you do these things in, as children. And, you know, I my personality, I don't think really grew itself to be what it was until I was in my mid-30s, right. you know, which many people would think, what? 
But the way that I was brought up, you know, you're my introverted. Yes, and oh, my parents were always right. Do as you're told. You're the mm-hmm. elder. Set the example. So mm-hmm. I was always doing what was expected of me. And even when I went into relationships, I did the same thing until mm. I was in my mid-30s and realized, wait a minute, you know, yeah. I'm doing things that, you know, satisfy other people mm-hmm. than myself. Yeah, and I was caring yes. many times for, for others before mm-hmm. I realized, you know what, speak up. Yes, number one, you come first, yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, you Mm -hmm. don't have to carry the can or you don't have to accept responsibility for certain Mm -hmm. things. Or sometimes I think there's an indirect way of looking at carry the can, which Mm -hmm. is sometimes when you're not fully sure about how much you have contributed Mm -hmm. to the situation or you have Mm -hmm. doubt as to how much you have contributed to the situation. Similar to what you're saying in terms of the legal Mm -hmm. system, sometimes it's just easier to just say, okay, then, because people are prompting you to believe that or to think you wasn't there at the time, Mm -hmm. if you had gone when you were told to have gone, Mm -hmm. all those kind of things, you know? Mm -hmm. So I realized that Mm -hmm. sometimes indirectly, I was carrying the can for situations because other people were feeding things. Like, well, if you had done it when you said you had done it, if you had, if you did it on the first instead of the fifth, then you would not, you would not have, say, for mm-hmm. example, the penalties that come with a charge or something. Okay, so let me ask you something, then, Delia. If you were able to relive that childhood again, knowing mm-hmm. what you know now, and even going on into up until about when you were thirty, when you really started to stand up for your own, and so, would you have changed anything? Or, or would you have still kept it just like how you? No, done? I would have changed. I would have changed definitely. I started writing a book a couple of years ago, and I always remember the first sentence. And the first sentence is: "Took me thirty-two years to tell my mother no." Oh gosh! Wow. And that's the first thing that comes to my mind when I'm writing a book. Then it means it's it's very important to me. It's the first <laughs> sentence, you know? And as much as I loved my parents and love my parents, uh, and my mom has dementia now, so I can't have that conversation with her. Yeah, yes. But, I've had the conversation with my dad in terms of, mm-hmm. you know, when I was growing up and certain things and so on and so forth. You know, we just had discussions on it because in those days, the mentality w- was different. And a lot of families, I think, had lots of siblings. I think there are less siblings in this uh, around yeah, now. Yeah. So a lot of children would have been carrying the can for certain things mm-hmm. you know, throughout their lives. You know, But with it is a cultural bit about children should be seen and not her mustn't mustn't back on to your parents when since you turned big woman here i am the mother here how dare you start to i've said you did it so you just accept responsibility even if you don't and you just think you know what i'm not gonna argue with my mom and dad because i'll probably get a beating on top of that you're you're fresh you're out of water you're pasty so that's part of it as well where you just think you know i'm gonna be subservient i'm gonna just um just accept what they're saying, <laughs> even though all you know, yes. it's far removed from the truth. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know what you said earlier about the, you know, being opposed to the death penalty. I have thought about this myself. And my response to that is that I am not opposed to the death penalty if it is a fact and it can be proved without Beyond a, you any know, doubt. Video any, cameras. Any reason. Right. Yes, yeah. there are video cameras that, you know, although in this day and age, people can do anything with video cameras. They put you in a place right. that you've never been in your life, you know? Uh, yes. Yes, very, yeah. very careful. So I think it's a combination of the, the proof and videos, yes. also 
some people, they actually will say, yeah, I did it. They'll admit mm -hmm. to it and they'll mm -hmm. say the reason why revenge or, you know, mm -hmm. but at the same time, we have to think about that person's mentality because oh, not everyone yeah, has absolutely. illness, mm -hmm. you know, and mm -hmm. if, they have, if they have got a mental issue, mm -hmm. then is it, is it right mm -hmm. to do that? So, mm -hmm. so it, it opens up a can of worms. Oh, it does. It does. It does. Carry the can, a can yes. of worms. Yes, yes. I like the pun. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, as an adult, I was trying to think, how have I carried the can as mm -hmm. an adult? And if I say this in a big way, maybe it can be narrowed down. Sometimes mm -hmm. I think of our culture and the mm -hmm. color of our skin. We mm -hmm. are sometimes carrying the can for the negative intonations that come with being oh, black. Yeah. Yes, mm -hmm. yes, that's a very that's a very good point. Yes, mm -hmm. uh, and yes. it's sad to say because mm -hmm. I remember when I was growing up in the seventies in England, I would you know maybe go to the shop or whatever for my parents or whatever, and sometimes I would be asked, um, "Where are you from? Jamaica or Africa?" That was it. That, that, yeah. it, it was not it was not the Caribbean or Nigeria yeah, yeah, yeah. or Ghana mm -hmm. or Barbados, mm -hmm. Lucia. Mm -hmm. Where are you from? Jamaica mm -hmm. or Africa? And mm -hmm. then they would answer it themselves and say, oh, well, um, maybe you're from the Caribbean because mm -hmm. your skin isn't as dark as yeah. African. Yes, yes, mm -hmm. yes, yes. Mm -hmm. yes. You know, mm -hmm. yeah. And if someone of my color did something wrong, Mm -hmm. then they would just assume that because mm -hmm. that person is of my color, then my attitude or I'm going to be criminal mm -hmm. or I'm going to be unreasonable or, you know. Yes. It's the negative stereotypes which they then put on us in terms yes. of aggression and we, we don't fit in and so on and so forth. So, yes, I like that approach that you've come there with in terms of carrying the can. I, I take it a stage further where I, because I worked in equity, quality, diversity and inclusion, I was always at the forefront when I was seeing racism appearing in whatever settings I was involved in. And there's some, some, some people are so in tune and, and, and they click and they say, hang on, what's happening here amounts to racism. But some people are not that on the ball and not so intuitive and so in tune and click to it straight away. So in that sense, I used to have to carry the can a lot. Anytime somebody would say something and it was deemed to be offensive or racist or insensitive, I would then jump up and and say something. And then I thought, well, hang on, I'll suffer from burnout if I do that. There are other people in the room who need to be able to, so it doesn't become, oh, the, oh it's Delia again. Oh, it's Tony Kelly again. It's those two that they, they have this chip on the shoulder. And when they come with this chip on the shoulder, I say, listen, the chips from the Caribbean is banana and yam and those sort of chips. You probably think you put it. And I sort of laugh, laugh it off in that way. But yes, that's another sort of form of carrying the can where I'm constantly at the forefront and thinking, well, hang on, I don't want to burn myself out at the expense of these people who, who have whether internalized their racism or are showing it in a very introverted or extroverted manner or so on. Um, so that, along with what you just mentioned in terms of, you know, where you're from, <laughs> yeah, it's, an, it's another form of carrying the can, yeah. Mm. Okay, discussion. Very yeah. interesting. Yes, and uh, there you are, you are doubting that we would be able to speak for so long on that carry the can because everyone yes. was like... And we covered so many areas, haven't we? We've, mm. we've done that. So mm. before I say goodbye to you, I know that you have a really long schedule of, of traveling ahead of you. 
Mm-hmm. Briefly, could you tell us what you're up to? Well, I, I, during lockdown, Delia, I did a lot of, I work as a diabetes ambassador. This is a voluntary capacity. So I was doing webinars and Zooms in Africa and the Caribbean and the States and Canada. And two countries, which is Jamaica and Barbados, said, hey, we just love how you give the message out there to us as Black people in terms of you have diabetes, you've had it for 18 years, and you live with it without ever taking medication. Come over to Macedonia and help us. So with that in mind, they invited me to both countries. So I leave in October. The whole of November in the Caribbean is Caribbean Diabetes Month for the whole of November. So I'm in Jamaica for a holiday to start with and then start hitting the ground running in eight parishes, going into the nooks and crannies, communities and, and so on enlightening people about diabetes and, and how to go do it the healthy way, physical activity and diet, um, pro-social modeling, take a leaf out of my book. And then I fly off from Jamaica on the 13th of November to Barbados, where I'm there until the 3rd of December to do likewise in Barbados. I've never been to Barbados. So I'm looking forward to oh, that. Have you been? Have you been? Oh, yes, yes, yes. So you're, I, I have a family who live in Barbados as well. Okay, well, I'll have to send you the, the, the contact, the, the, the yes. itinerary, so that you can invite them to come to one of the events I'm doing. I will. And, and speak to me and say, by the I way, we your dollars um, relatives. Yes, I will, because one, um, one of them, she used to be, she's retired now, but she used to be a nurse. And right. she was a nurse in, in England, and then she went to Barbados and continued her nursing. So All right. uh, she'll have All right. to say about Yes. yes. So definitely. Well, Tony, thank you so much for being with us and safe travels. Thanks. Thanks, Delia. Thanks for having me on the show. In the English language today, we use phrases like to pay for something or in modern slang, we would say to clean up after yourself or after someone else. Now, let's take a look at the English sibling of Etvaz Aspardan Muzen to carry the can for someone. Another odd yet very different way of saying the same thing. Many believe this phrase originated from the British military. The first recorded cases are from the Royal Navy in the late 1920s. However, Eric Partridge in his Dictionary of Historical Slang states that it has been around since the late 19th century. In his Dictionary of Forces slang, he writes that the idiom refers to the member of a gang or party who fetches the bear for all and then has the melancholy task of returning the empty. This is obviously a rather tedious and unpleasant task. An example of how this phrase is used today can be found in an interview with former Irish footballer Liam Brady, in which he blames Liverpool's manager, Jürgen Klopp, for the team's defeat. We, we've, been, we've been flagging it up for a while that neither goalkeeper inspire uh, the, defense, the defenders in front of them. Uh, and so many goals they've conceded have been down to bad goalkeeping, whether it's Mignolet or whether it's Carrius. So he, ultimately, he's got to carry the can for that club, mm-hmm. and he, without doubt, he probably he probably skirt over uh, Carrius' performances the performance tonight. There's no doubt that he's got to change and get a good goalkeeper uh, for the upcoming season or next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm just sad because they didn't, they couldn't show what they could do because Salah went off and because Carrius had an absolute howler. There is an older slang expression which might have served as its predecessor, 
to carry the keg. Keg describes a small cask that can hold various contents. It is also a dialect word and means to offend or to insult. So to carry the keg meant to hold a grudge or to be easily offended. The pun in the phrase on keg, a small cask, is that you literally might carry it as you would figuratively carry a grudge. It is possible that carry the can developed as a reference and then took on a life of its own. Kegs can also have an entirely different purpose. They are tricky and even difficult to carry, which is why some have had the idea to incorporate them into their daily workout routines. What's up, everybody? This is Grant Higa, also known as the Higa Monster, and today we are at Barbell Brigade. Today, I want to teach you a few pointers on using a keg for carrying or loading. So come check it out. So using the keg, uh, keg's a great tool for conditioning. It's very unstable. Uh, most kegs, they're filled with sand and water. So unlike a fixed weight, that bugger's shaking around like crazy. So when you got to pick up a load that's kind of like wobbling around inside, it's really hard to move and stuff, you know? So I really think if you add these into your training, especially after squat and deadlift days, it'll really help. I would like to add a word of caution to the listener here. Physical exercises like this one can cause severe damage to the body when carried out incorrectly. So please do not attempt it based on an audio recording. It is important to follow visuals or consult a licensed trainer before. Taking responsibility for wrongdoings is a timeless topic that has played a role throughout the history of mankind. Whether that's personal responsibility, national responsibility, or global responsibility. In a day and age where we are all connected by means of the internet and long-distance travel, the idea of taking responsibility has taken on a new dimension. In an era of growing eco-conscience, we know that each one of us leaves behind a carbon footprint. Minimizing this footprint by using less electricity or buying sustainable and fair trade products are just a few of the ways in which we can reduce this footprint. Personal and global responsibility can overlap, as becoming more sustainable globally is directly connected to each person playing their part towards a greener future. In other instances, entire countries have had to take responsibility for their wrongdoings. One that instantly comes to mind is Germany. After starting and then losing World War I, the Treaty of Versailles made sure that Germany paid off every last damage caused by the war. In fact, it wasn't until the end of 2010, 92 years later, that the country finished paying off the debt of $269 billion. In addition to the financial price, Germany paid an even higher price in losing 3 million citizens to the war. Ironically, the Treaty of Versailles, which was a peace treaty sealed to end four years of violent fighting, eventually led to World War II. It is considered to be one of the most controversial agreements in history. Its cracks left open the possibility of a second global conflict and brought about an extremely fragile peace in Europe. After World War I ended, the Weimar Republic was established in Germany in 1919. The newly birthed republic suffered from many issues like hyperinflation, 
economic depression and political instability. An increasing public discontentment paved the way for Adolf Hitler. Winston Churchill, in his famous speech of 1934, talked about the risk of impending war with Germany. Many people think that the best way to escape war is to dwell upon its horrors and to imprint them vividly upon the minds of the younger generation. They flaunt the grisly photographs before their eyes. They fill their ears with tales of carnage. They dilate upon the ineptitude of generals and admirals. They denounce the crime and insensate folly of human strife. Now all this teaching ought to be very useful in preventing us from attacking or invading any other country, if anyone outside a madhouse wished to do so. But how would it help us if we were attacked or invaded ourselves? That is the question we have to ask. Would the invaders consent to visit Lord Beaverbrook's exhibition or listen to the impassioned appeals of Mr. Lloyd George? Would they agree to meet that famous South African, General Smuts, and have their inferiority complex removed in friendly, reasonable debate? I doubt it. I have borne responsibility for the safety of this country in grievous times. I gravely doubt it. But even if they did, I'm not so sure we should convince them and persuade them to go back quietly home. They might say, it seems to me, you are rich, we are poor, you seem well fed, we are hungry. You have been victorious. We have been defeated. You have valuable colonies. We have none. You have your navy. Where is ours? You have had the past. Let us have the future. Above all, I fear, they would say, you are weak and we are strong. The atrocities committed by the Nazi party are countless and unimaginable, and decades after the end of World War II, its consequences are still felt by many around the world. Taking responsibility for wrongdoing like that is a complex and highly sensitive task. It is one that must be done over a long period of time by generations to come after the ones that were alive back then have long passed. In modern-day Germany, some ways of continuing to bear the responsibility are through in-depth teaching in schools, respect towards Judaism, such as the banning of jokes about Jewish people and their heritage, and ongoing financial support for survivors of the Holocaust. Of course, bearing responsibility for a deed cannot always redeem that which has been damaged or taken, but nonetheless it is a step which must be taken to make accounting for the past possible. Edvas Asbaden Musen, or to carry the can for something, is an ancient figure of speech that is as relevant today as it was a hundred years ago. Even though an often unpleasant and tedious act, it is one of great value. Bearing responsibility for one's wrongdoing or that of another is an innately human act, which is necessary to make human coexistence possible. (music) 
thanks for listening to this episode of Metaphorically Speaking. I hope that you enjoyed it. And I hope, like me, you learned something new. Thank you to our guest, Tony Kelly. We'd love you to share the show with your friends and please feel free to leave a review on colorful.com or on our podcast, Metaphorically Speaking, with Delia Delore, which is on Apple, Spotify and all major streaming platforms. If you'd like to suggest a metaphor for an upcoming show, you can reach us at info at metaphorically speaking.uk. Join us for another metaphor next week 